Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy. And today we have Dr. Egypt Iridia. Uh, uh, she is a holistic medical doctor, a metaphysical wellness coach, a naturopathic physician, a poet, and an advocate of the plant-based and vegan lifestyle. Welcome, Dr. Egypt. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start by asking, you know, where are you um, currently and where are you from originally? Okay, good. Um, so currently I'm in Illinois. Um, originally, okay. oh my, that's, <laughs> I never know how to quite answer that question. I have the but, same issue. Because <laughs> I'm just, um, so I was raised in the United Kingdom predominantly, um, but my, I guess, background before that, uh, my parents are from Nigeria, West Africa, okay. um, but I was raised in the UK. I've lived in several countries and now I'm in the US. So the where are you from question, it's like, oh. We understand. <laughs> yeah, I have the same issue because I'm like, you mean where I'm born, where I've lived? I moved around a lot. I don't, you know, I don't know. Did you know you're Eritrean? Oh, uh, well, I'm Eritrean, <laughs> but I grew up in Ethiopia, and then I moved to the U.S. Uh, at a young age. For our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what is it like as far as transitioning from the U.K. to the U.S.? So when I came, it was um, a rather big cultural adjustment because I predominantly lived in the UK and lived in other European countries. And um, it's like two different worlds, really, if I'm honest with you. So I've moved here almost going on six and a half, seven years now. So initially it was a bit of, um, I had to adjust just to the culture, the energetic dynamics that seemed to play out in the US just because I wasn't used to quite a lot of things. But over time, I'm far from being Americanized, but I'm I'm more used to like the, the way people see things and how things, you know, play out here and things like that. So I'm still adjusted in a good way, mostly. <laughs> what made you pick Illinois? Um, well, I actually didn't pick Illinois. I picked my program because the primary reason I came here was to do my doctorate in naturopathic medicine. Because okay. we don't actually have that program in the UK. So I was going by like all the states or the countries that had the program. And I considered Canada and the US. And I researched more into my college that I eventually ended up doing my program. And it just happened to be in Illinois. I didn't even know what the weather was like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did it. <laughs> but what made you focus on nat naturopathic medicine uh, versus other specialties? Yeah, so I had trained in conventional like medicine as a conventional physician. And there are so many reasons, but generally I, I started to personally embark on a well, not embark, I guess, more deepen, because I, from when I can remember, always been on a spiritual search, spiritual exploration journey, but I deepen my spiritual and sort of self-growth um, practices and explorations, and a lot of things within that conventional medicine 
structure and paradigm of operation didn't sit too well, honestly, with my soul and honestly with my notions of what I thought true healing and deep healing is, not just healing on more the superficial or just the physical level. So I started to just explore like indigenous traditions and, um, you know, like what did the, what does ancient wisdom say about healing and what did people do thousands of years ago before we had the medications and the, you know, highly um, technology based interventions. And I started to get drawn towards that path and just through like different self-study, going to conferences, seminars, um, the universe just sending people onto my path that awakened me more on this journey of healing and self-growth. I stumbled upon naturopathic medicine. And for me, when I looked into it deeper, naturopathy seemed a good fit just because I wanted to study about herbs more and, you know, sacred herbal wisdom, but I just didn't want to do that. <laughs> I wanted to study about nutrition, but I just didn't want to become a nutritionist. You know, I wanted to study all these different facets of natural healing and naturopathy seems to hold space for quite a few facets altogether. So that was why I just, you know, went along naturopathic medicine and came to Illinois primarily to study the program. Where did you begin? Oh, okay. Where, where did, where did you begin your studies? Um, of naturopathy or medicine? Medicine. In the UK. So I studied um, in London, um, St. George's University of London. So in the UK, yeah. Okay. So in the medical school there versus here, what, is, what were some of the things that you noticed that they may, they, you know, they may do there, but they don't do here in the school? Right, that's an interesting question. Um, I think here it seems like when I went to college, it just seemed to have a, a broader sort of age range mix for people who were in school, which was rather pleasantly surprising for me. I mean, um, for the most part, I did go to medical school when I was much younger. <laughs> but even with my medical school, there were like predominantly people around sort of I'd say early to mid twenties to like maximum early thirties. And that was like 90% of our student body, you know, in medical school. Um, whereas here, when I went to naturopathic medical school, it was a much broader range. Some people had um, chosen naturopathy as like a, a second career option or just a career transition. So we had people, I guess, with more life experience on the program. Mm. Um, we had a broader age range, you know, from early 20s up until like one gentleman was like in his 70s, you know. So so it was beautiful like that because I felt like I could just tap into their like wisdom, you know, life knowledge outside the naturopathic healing sector. So that was that was good <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that was one main thing. Um, so you're an advocate of plant-based lifestyle and from a lot of times I hear about environmental reasons why um, to to go with a plant-based lifestyle can you speak to more um, medical reasons or health reasons why it's beneficial to go uh, with plant-based lifestyle and for spiritual reasons as well okay um 
There are a few aspects. I would say one major aspect would be, I'd say, I don't know if your listeners are or some of them maybe or may want to explore the alkalization principle, which is essentially that the body um, thrives in healing and regenerating itself when our cellular environment is in a more alkaline state as opposed to more acidic based state. I mean, both are good and both have their place, but the, um, I guess, standard diets that we consume in westernized developed nations or industrialized nations is what I like to say more. Um, it's very acidity prone it encourages the body to produce a lot of acid and kind of in summary or to keep it simple when we have a lot of acid in our cells and our body tissues and our you know various body fluids it encourages a lot of inflammation um, throughout the body uh, encourages essentially um uh, catabolic processes so breakdown processes in the body it encourages the growth of very various like unwanted or I'd say unserving because I think there's there's a place for everything even parasites in nature but you know it encourages when our bodies are too acidic it encourages the growth of unserving parasites uh, different viruses bacteria what have you so it generally doesn't foster optimal health we want to be in a more alkaline state and the consumptions of things like leafy greens sprouts microgreens um alkaline alkalizing fruits um can just help us to sustain a more alkaline based i like to say lifestyle because how acidic or alkaline we are is more than our diets really, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the diet plays a big part. So yes, the plant-based diet um, just promotes um, us to be in a more alkaline state, which promotes healing in general. So that's one um, main aspect. What, what are some things that can cause your body to be more acidic? Great question. So again, one would be the diet, especially if say someone consumes a diet that's very, um, you know, heavy on things like fried foods, um, hydrogenated oils, or what I call unnatural oils. There are some oils that have come into the market and it's like, this is unnatural to the human body. Like I, I take one like canola oil, you know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, there was no canola oil. Um, but now it's massively produced, it's cheap. It was essentially like um, sort of a GMO hybridized made up oil, you know, canola oil comes from Canada oil. So they just got the name from and they hybridized safflower oil and did some stuff to it and came up with canola oil. So things like that would cause a lot of acidity, especially, I mean, no, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Yeah. So like if you have a couple of things with canola oil in them, it's not the be all and end all. But if you are consuming a lot of foods with these, you know, toxic, essentially toxic hydrogenated oils that can be make your body more acidity prone. And other things are a big thing is just lifestyle practices. People don't really think about like the kind of water we drink, the thoughts we have, how we use our breath how we move our bodies, um, how we just self-care practices. So having um, what I call a very busy, go, go, go kind of lifestyle, no time for breaks. Um, it's, you know, rich in stimulants to keep you going. A lot of stimulants like 
a lot of sugar and caffeine and energy drinks they contain substances that can make like can push your body into definitely more acidic state um so those are just some of the things like breath work as well just because of the lifestyles of most people we're not in touch with our bodies we've become disembodied it's a lot of shallow breathing a lot of mouth breathing as well can push our body into a more acidic state um just so those are just like some sort of, I guess, practices. Um, that can make yeah, I, I didn't think about some of the things that you just mentioned, like even just, you know, uh, busy lifestyle or just even breath work and things like that. I didn't think would cause an acidic state. I just thought mostly diet mm-hmm. and um, some lifestyle choices. Yeah. What are some of the, um, the things that you found that are connected dealing with, you know, your practices from um, dealing with, you know, your, your medical practice and also, you know, your spiritual practice. What are some of the, the things that you've learned and that you found have, have been kind of always or have been connected with dealing with medical issues and maybe, uh, a, a, you know, un, unhappy spirit, maybe? Oh, sure. Great. A beautiful question. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely getting me to think. Um, I consider myself as a metaphysical wellness practitioner. So I guess for me, the primary lens I look at life is via spirit and by consciousness, essentially. So I think between you know medical practice and like that spiritual life, there's a very tight link because humans are mind body spirit like there is no mind apart from body there's no body apart from mind and spirit feels everything so we're like all interconnected you know um so there are many ways that like those two i guess um areas of practice can merge together when it comes to healing because i see true healing as deep healing healing that transverses mind, body, spirit, essentially. And personally, this is like my own personal opinion, I guess, because I come up with my various theories in my head. But I think a lot of the socioeconomical, for sure, but even physical dysfunction that we are having now as modern humans, a lot of it stems from disconnection from ourselves disconnection from the spiritual realm or just you know not harboring to the needs of consciousness to the needs of developing our consciousness it comes down to that it's like a little thing for example again i'll tie it back to the the dietary practices you know people consume and i'm not perfect including me i have my moments even though i try and generally eat clean But, you know, when people are stressed or even when they're not stressed out of habitual patterns, they'll consume a lot of like fast food and junk foods and takeaway foods. And, you know, they're not too concerned about what's in it. It's more like they go by how it tastes, Mm -hmm. which is fair enough. If you look at it just on the levels, this is food, essentially, it's just meant to taste good or give me some energy to do life. No big deal. It's just food. But then if you look at it through another lens, like, Truly, we are a manifestation of the divine, whichever um, Godhead or divine force 
anyone subscribes to. If you see yourself as a manifestation of God, of the divine, you know, God is a loaded word. So I like to say the divine, but God, I guess you could say, or the goddess. Or the universe, either one. The universe, (laughs) I like that word. (laughs) Essentially, you have reverence for your body. You see your body is truly, um, uh, you know, a temple, a sacred space you really have a reverence for your body and if you have true love and reverence for something you want to nurture it and nourish it with the best substances the most highest vibration substances because you essentially in a way worship yourself every time you eat so you wouldn't want to just put in whatever into your body that's your sacred temple so again if you look at it through a spiritual lens it can inform our health or self-care practices on a very deep level. Um, so it's that paradigm shift in how we see healing and self-care. Okay. Um, I know you've talked about minimalism and digital minimalism. And what do you feel like, well, one, why do you strive for a minimalist lifestyle? And what do you feel like in society today is kind of causing the, the um, I guess, the off-balance, can't think of the term. Um, I guess, why do you follow, uh, why do you advocate for that? Yes. Um, so it's something I've been exploring more, I guess, in the last maybe eight to 10 years. And, oh, minimalism, it's so, for me, it's been one of the game changes in my life. Um, I haven't been like, oh, I'm not a sort of heavily material-based person, but I've had my moments of, you know, shopping (laughs) for clothes and shoes and bags and all the good stuff, right? (laughs) But then as I engage more in these practices of consumerism and constantly buying stuff, it just like for me it didn't sit well with my soul i was like there's more to life than just shopping there's more to life than just acquiring material goods like there are things that are that truly give me deep fulfillment like relationships and contribution and community and spiritual growth and self-growth but i'm not spending as much time or mental headspace on those activities i'm just like on the rat race making money you know paying utilities and then the rest of the money you buy stuff that like a couple of months time you don't even want anymore and it's just constant and for me adopting minimalism as a practice was one of the main things that i just incorporated to like live a more intentional life you know a more aware life because i feel like especially the societies we live in these days, there's just so many forces that are vying for our attention that are like pulling us out of ourselves and out of our inner knowing to like constantly be dependent on things outside of us to give us satisfaction and joy and bliss. Whereas a lot of it, of that satisfaction, joy, peace, serenity comes from nurturing your inner life. And when I started to see this in my life, I was like, oh gosh, I wasted so much time and money and just buying stuff. <laughs> I need to cut down. And so I did. Um, I decluttered. I'm still working on decluttering, mental decluttering. I think it's given me more serenity and just peace in my life. 
Yeah. I know one of the things we worry about just environmental things causing issues, um, health issues and things like that from, you know, radiation and from, you know, all of these electronics having some emitting, you know, from Wi-Fi and um, different things uh, in the environment that we have today yeah. that we didn't have in the past that affects our, um, that affects our health. Uh, whether it's mental or physical health even emotionally yeah um are there things i guess are some of those things a concern for you or are, are there things that um that you look out for in those in those areas oh yes <laughs> probably all of them <laughs> <laughs> probably all the things you just mentioned to be honest i mean it gets challenging. I won't, you know, I'll be honest to that because you can just, you can think, go down the rabbit hole of thoughts about like, oh, this is toxic and I don't know how this is affecting my health. And like, for me, I'm the researcher. Like I like to know, especially health wise, like how different things affect health. And the more, you know, you start to freak out like, oh my God, everything's like we're living in a toxic soup. And <laughs> yeah. It becomes yeah. hard to see like, what are you supposed to eat? <laughs> Cause even you're yeah. like, okay, I'll go into plant-based lifestyle. And then you find like, okay, you have to pick the right type of plants or else they're been affected as well. So it, it becomes challenging. Um, yeah. So going back to the plant-based lifestyle for a someone that's a beginner um like what are some tips you have like when you're first getting into it like what are some things that you can use to help whether it's uh, places to find what types of food to cook or books anything like that that helped you or what type sure. of plant-based stuff to not yeah. trust what is your staple <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> to not trust. Oh, there's a few I can talk about. <laughs> so um, just taking on um, Gypsy's questions first. So I would say, like, adopt it if you can in a way that matches your personality. You know, you may come across somebody else's um, advocacy of what they did to transition to a plant-based diet, but you think, oh, my gosh, I could never do that. And I'd say, like, rather than just give up, like, some people become, like, vegetarian or vegan overnight, right? And they're, they stick with it for, like, 10 years or for the rest of their lives. Whereas some people need, like, a slower transition over a year. They might start with, like, say, meatless Mondays. Or they might say, out of three meals in a day, I'm going to have one that's completely plant-based with no animal products in it. You know, or I'm going to have a weekend vegetarian or every time I go out to eat, I'll choose a vegetarian option. So those are that that's like a couple of tips. If you're the person that just needs a slow transition into it, you have to make it work for your lifestyle. Because like when somebody's trying to get on the plant based path or exploring it, it can be overwhelming. And it also depends where they get their source of inspiration or information from. I know like for me, like one big one was just simple things like YouTube. There's a lot of information on YouTube, which is great, can be inspiring. But like if you start to really get into the lifestyle of somebody who is very far from where you are, you know, they're like 
I don't know, they're like fruitarian, they're juicing every day and sprouting every day. Like they have nothing else to do but juice and sprout, right? Gets yeah. <laughs> <laughs> discouraging because yeah. you're like, that's so far away. I know because like most people have other commitments in life and like they can't just be juicing and sprouting all day, basically. <laughs> <laughs> use them as inspiration but perhaps try to look for channels or a books or a people with like a similar lifestyle to you who haven't gone too far from where you are now i can find that can be much more doable for people than when they just subscribe to somebody because they think they're the professional in it sometimes professionals don't meet people where they're at or they're just too far ahead they become it can be discouraging so that would be one thing and also like maybe just keep it simple because i have clients that i work with and they transit to plant base so they want to and they're like going out to the bookstores and getting all the like fancy gourmet recipe books and how to do this and how to do that and they you know revamp their pantry and then they look at all these new ingredients from halfway around the world they've never cooked before and they're like oh gosh how am i gonna do this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so keep it simple like maybe start out with simple ingredients or recipes that don't take too long to make or whatever is currently your staple. Like if someone's a pizza person or a pasta person, they like that. Maybe just um, find ways of, you know, veganizing your favorite dish, essentially, rather than trying to learn a whole new dish from another culture. And it's just a lot of work. Just make, I, I'm a proponent and it comes back to simple living, minimalism of just, making things as easy for yourself as possible because i find a lot of times the simple things they sustain us long term and we don't have this emotional you know nervous system sort of anxiety over making the change because it's slowly sinking into our lifestyles so i'm, I'm sure you're familiar with meditation um we kind of talk about it often on the show what are some of when did you get into meditation when did you learn about it and what are some of the um pros that you you've gotten from the knowledge of meditation oh isn't meditation wonderful <laughs> <laughs> oh every time i hear it i feel like i should be doing some um <laughs> <laughs> I probably talk about it more than I do it, <laughs> but, um, same here. Yeah. <laughs> so I got into meditation when I was probably like, like properly, you know, doing it or, you know, seriously, when I was late teens was when I, um, seriously started to explore it. And, um, I, I'm sure you guys know it's, it's a beautiful practice. It's, it's, it's life changing. Um, so in terms of sorry what was the second part of your question just the pros i guess all the pros yes so the benefits i found for me it's like that mental clarity um the ability to be able to be present fully present and full fully embodied in my space you know and just feel like i have a clearer mind it's like a i've done laundry to my mind when I meditate essentially and also I just feel like 
more connected, more connected to myself and more connected to the world around me. Like I'm not just going through the world very disconnected. I feel more grounded. It's a very grounded practice. Obviously, there are different styles of meditation as well. Um, so for me, it's been like just that feeling of groundedness, feeling serene, feeling like I, I can tap the inner peace that's always there within us, but it seems to be like clothed up in just like thought and noise and busyness. Like it's a beautiful space when I meditate because it gives me the opportunity to just tap with that into that inner stillness to just be peaceful without drama, essentially. Yeah. The perfect getaway place in your head. Mm -hmm. So what is what are some of your your views on, I guess, I guess you would say extraterrestrial or maybe astral projection or just things outside of Earth's nature. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> How deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> oh gosh. My mind is like <laughs> next level, but okay. Um, wow. So. I believe for sure in extraterrestrials and intraterrestrials as well, actually. I I believe, not that I 100% know, you know, but I do believe that there are other planes of existence to this earth, just like how we have a mind, body, and spirit. The earth also has, like, I guess, a mind, body, and spirit of the earth. So this physical plane of the earth that we exist on is just kind of one level i i believe in the multi-dimensional nature of just earth you know as a celestial body i mean like ancient scriptures like the bhagavad gita speaks to that saying i forgot it was seven or eleven don't quote me one of them there are that many levels to earth and sometimes when we um the entities that some people might consider even as extraterrestrial or demons just are entities that have somehow come from those other dimensions into our own physical dimension of earth essentially so um that's my kind of view <laughs> on that that's one thing um i don't believe the earth is a globe i believe the earth is flat okay. um just from my own personal research and on learning of many things i believe the earth is is planar not global how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah. Because I've, like, you know, open-mindedly looked at everything just to, you know, from my own knowledge, because I don't feel like, you know, I like to make my own decisions and look at all all the, the, um, I guess, evidence and facts and things like that. So Yeah, and even how like did, they say, if it was circle or flat or a triangle, you know, of course, we would still have tomorrow and the day after and we would keep going but to be at least open-minded to be able to view it yes but how did yeah. you personally yeah. come to that conclusion um so again it was just through a lot of personal research and things that like i find the universe you know it's a law of attraction right when you are sometimes really curious about certain areas and you start to explore it more you start to more more evidence or truths that um align with whatever you're seeking 
come into your yeah. life. So it was like that for me. I kind of went down the rabbit hole of, you know, um, research about flat earth. There was a major, um, he's not a spiritual, he's a tricker. I call him a truther, not so much a spiritual teacher, Santo Bonacci. I don't know if you're aware of his work. I'm not. No. What's the no. name again? Santo Bonacci. Yeah. He's an Australian gentleman and his work is just so fascinating on so many levels. Like I, I've explored some of the things that you cover um, here on your show. And I, I think it's, you, you guys would be fascinated by his work for sure. It aligned with a lot of what you speak we'll to as well. have to check him out. Yeah, we'll look into him. <laughs> yeah, he's real good. I mean, he also talks about like astrotheology and things like that. But essentially, um, I came across his work on flat earth theory and the work of other I guess, flat earth truthers as well. And I watched a series of documentaries. I really started to look at um, just some of the things I was told in school that I had believed, I guess. And I realized the only reason I really believed them was because I was taught it in school and I probably did question it and you just take it as truth. And like when you're a kid, they're like, the teacher has the globe on the table and they're spinning the globe and showing you the countries. And I'm like, just from the documentaries and the teachings, I realized that there were certain experiences in my own self that I'd noticed even like personally, like for example, when I would, you know, I would fly and you in the daytime, you look outside the window to my eye, just, just something simple. There were like so-called hundreds of proof about flat earth, but this is something simple just to my eye from that distance, the earth didn't seem like it curved any point, you know, and you could see pretty far away. And that was what my eye was telling me, but my brain had been conditioned to be like, the earth is global. There is a curve somewhere. You're just at a plane that you can't quite see the curve. So I was discounting what my sort of natural eyes were showing me. And that's just one thing. And then there's the, the whole, there's a whole lot to the whole yeah. flat earth thing, like science wise, things that don't make sense. And I started to just really unpick that. And Flight patterns and different things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I started to unpick things, I was like, you know, it makes more sense from just the limited, because I'm no expert, the limited knowledge that I've pieced together. It makes more sense to me that the earth is flat than it is, than it is global. You know, once I look at it myself, not once I just believe it. So I'm just like, you know, and then there are other like global agendas at play, and I started to piece all of them together and various conspiracy theories and all <laughs> what is the benefit you know that's one thing i never really understood and tr still trying to understand i guess what would be the benefit of saying is something different than what it is like you know yeah. what's the benefit of saying that it's round i guess i never Versus really flat. yeah i never really figured that out but even um, in school, when they're showing you the map, they're telling you, like, actually, this is not all the way accurate because Africa is technically the continent of Africa is technically a so lot larger, larger than we show you on this map. And this is actually this way. And it's like you, you got all these caveats to even the stuff you're showing me in the textbook. I know. So <laughs> that's a little off. I recently saw a post. I think it was, yeah, it was on um, Instagram. And it was showing of an old lady, 100-year-old lady, that was saying she remembers when they started teaching flat earth, when they started, when they basically changed it and started teaching different. 
So. Oh, you mean when they changed it to gold versus? Yeah, yeah. When they, I'm sorry, yeah. When when they changed it, started teaching round earth. When yeah. they changed it from yeah. flat earth to round earth, and I guess that's been within a hundred years from now. But to go back to what you were saying, the uh, benefits. I, I remember them mentioning something about when it's you're looking at it round. You have Antarctica, and you have you know the South Pole, and you have the North Pole. But when you're looking at it flat, you have this ice wall around mm -hmm. all of us. Yeah, and that has something to I think to do with right because that the ice round versus been flat visited a lot of times and. Yes, and, <laughs> and a lot of the information gets suppressed. That's my other thing. It's like yeah. if you know people, and this is not just with flatter, just with all information in general. You know, people have the right to look at all the information available and make their own discernment. And it's like right now, it's like all things get suppressed if it doesn't match with the with the mainstream narrative is supposed mm -hmm. to say. So it's like. You're not yeah. able to make your own decisions based because of things being censored. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. And I guess to even, I'm here to learn a lot as well, even to, I guess, to still, you know, you have to watch certain videos over and over to get more knowledge, even for some of our audience that's not quite, you know, up to speed on certain things. Can you, are you able to give us a slight um, definition about like 5D and 3D? Oh, 5D and 3D? Yeah. Um, so you mean like dimensions of human existence? Yes. yes. Okay. So like three-dimensional is this how I see it is essentially the dimension that we we live and think through every day. You know, it's you know, I can see you can see me, we can touch this, you know, that's three-dimension. Our everyday tangible existence. That would be sort of three-dimensional. But five dimension to me is where you have this, there isn't so much of a space time continuum, you know, like for example, in five dimensional reality, there is no past, present and future. It's all like in the now, if you like. Mm -hmm. And like, for, for instance, and you, you guys may have come across it, or I know I've come across it like, um, you know, like time travelers. Mm -hmm. time yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i used to actually uh, listen to this guy his channel is just basically interviews a lot of time travelers i haven't watched it in a long time but it was pretty yeah. interesting hearing different people's um stories about the future and the past and different things yes so like for me like when i see time travel i i choose humans or at least people that are tapping on into that five-dimensional reality where there is no separation in time on in a sort of linear planner level you know and basically everything is the now and things like that and even things like we consider what i think are there are because i am spiritual i believe in things like you know like goals and spirits and things like that. But I think also part of it is perhaps like when we encounter entities or energetic beings that have somehow come through from a different dimension, our reality is not able to process it. So it seems like they're ghosts or spirits, but they could have just been like literally 
entities that come down from different dimensions and a lot of ancient texts because I like to draw wisdom from a lot of indigenous traditions and ancient teachings because I think if it's really old, it stood the test of time, there must be some degree of truth in it. So, and they speak of these um, extra, I guess, extra dimensional realities. Now, the shamans, when they do have their various um, shamanistic journey and practices, when they're using things like entheogens and hallucinogenics, they're able to tap, to tap into those other states of beings and realities. And humans, essentially, we have our etheric bodies, and we have our physical bodies. So our physical bodies reside within the 3D reality, but then we have our etheric bodies, which is like almost like um, it taps more into the realm of unified consciousness, you know, singular consciousness, but it's not quite there. It's like another layer of our energy, if you like. And when you have things like, you know, things like acupuncture, or energy-based modalities, Reiki, acupuncture, um, or reading and things like that, it's interacting with our etheric body, which is extra 3D. It's not in the 3D dimension, but it's still part of us. So that's kind of how I see those realities. And it's, it's, just, it's like states of being. I see it's like sleeping. Like as humans, we exist in many states of awareness, just basic awareness. Like we have our sleeping reality, and we have or our dream state and then we have our waking state and then we have trance state like if you think about sometimes you could be um you know locked in a daydream or just coming out of sleep or so absorbed in like music and dance you're not in your full waking reality you're in trance state that's just another state of being we may not exist in it a lot because most of the time we exist in dream or in sleep not so much dream sleep or waking states but to me it's just different states of being but I think as a society we've come to almost like make the waking state of being the conscious state of being like the most superior state of being and everyone should just be in that state forget about your dreams <laughs> and your chances <laughs> just be in the waking state hustling and working <laughs> yeah because right. it really drains the energy yeah, there's no importance in what's going on in the dream state, which we're spending a lot of time in every single day. Yeah. Um, what is your thoughts on dreams and what's happening, you know, just even personally and in, in your research, like, you know, what what do you think is happening when we're going, you know, leaving this state of being to that state of being? Just the connections with reality in our dreams. Yes. Um, so I, I know one of you mentioned about astral projection and yeah. that that's the state that essentially dream state that we can't astrally project or some of us do, some of us do it more consciously. <laughs> Sometimes it just happens. But, um, again, I think dream state is us, um, existing in another state or being, but we're all connected. So I don't see like 3D, 5D separate. They're, they're kind of all merged, you know, in a way. Yeah. So dream state is just when we are more existent in that extra 3D state of being. And I even feel like even within dream states, there's more than one, you know, there's more than there is like maybe the state which you can astrally project. And there is like the dream state, which 
And then there's lucid dreaming, like that's different because you're dreaming and you know you're dreaming, but you're not really astrally projecting, but it's still dream state. So I feel it's there's different levels of even dream state. And for me, dream state is powerful, powerful because um, I mean, personally, like dream prophecy is something that I've had since I was a kid, essentially. So I get things come into me, my dream that will guide me, that will um, show up what's going on in my life or that will prophesize what's happening in my life. And I know like just on a personal level that it's been powerful for me. And I think tying in with like culture and like, you know, this, I almost think there's a war on sleep. <laughs> <That's the whole laughs> yeah. yeah. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. And the, the blue lights from from the machines don't help either. And that's one of the weaponry for the war on sleep because I do believe that the the powers that be, um, they know like states like dream consciousness are very powerful. People were permitted and encouraged to have deep nurturing sleep. Their bodies would be healthier. Their minds would be saner. Some people might tap into... um, the wisdom that dreams can provide into them. So when I see the world, I, cause I'm a pattern recognition kind of person. Mm-hmm. And when I see the world, it's like there are different psychological, mental and spiritual wars at play. And for me, there is like a war on sleep. Like even if you look at like things like the opioid crisis, the overuse of stimulants, their overuse of medication, our busy lifestyles that we're encouraged a lot of these practices, you know, the additives and foods, a lot of them are very detrimental to having a deep nourishing state of sleep, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah. like, there's a reason they're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to tap in. <laughs> yeah. There's um, more and more studies coming up about um, psychedelic mushrooms being beneficial to, um, as far as uh, mentally. Mental or, health. Yeah, mental health. Yeah. What's your opinion on that study or the um, relationship even with um, holistic healing, mushrooms and holistic yeah. healing? Yes. Um, I think the so entheogens or hallucinogenics or, um, yes, plant-based, I guess, um, hallucinogens or entheogens, I think they have a very powerful role to play in the healing process. Um, If they are used or if they're approached with a sense of reverence and a sense of respect and just a sense of safety, there is a place. They are powerful agents of healing, but if used irresponsibly, they can also be detrimental to somebody. I mean, I, on a personal level i guess and even professionally i'm all for entheogens again if used in a responsible safe manner or in um you know if the person either like allies with professionals or groups or organizations or even if it's a, sh- a shaman that actually knows what they're doing you know yeah. <laughs> i think it's beautiful i think it's a portal for opening up the mind on one level and coming back to your your thing about the medicinal mushrooms, mushrooms or, or the magic mushrooms, entheogenic mushrooms, I mean, on a kind of biochemical level, they have so, so much um, healing agents like the psilocybin, which is they've isolated as the primary 
antigenic substance in mushrooms, although I feel there are a lot more that they probably haven't found. But, you know, they put you into this sort of um, connected dream-like state where you're your vagus system, your vagal system. So essentially your vagal system is, um, we have like two nerve, nerve related systems in our body, the sympathetic, which is for like, you know, fighting, going, doing things, being active energy. And then we have the parasympathetic, which in summary is like the rest and digest and heal system. So a lot of the antigens, especially like the, the psilocybin and the magic mushrooms, they drive our body into a more parasympathetic or vagal state, which encourages, you know, better, better sleep, rest, digestion. Um, it calms down our nervous system and activates deep channels of healing on a physical level. And when you talk about like mental well-being as well, a lot of people suffering from things like, you know, manic depression, depression, bipolar addiction issues and things like that and it seems like the only route available to them is either some form of counseling if they're lucky or just medication essentially and i think nature and the divine the universe <laughs> has provided us with so many healing tools one being the sacred plant medicines and the entheogens that if more people had access to those resources wouldn't they be better off because if you have the medication fine you may feel better and oftentimes like say antidepressants they don't really make you feel better they just blunt you out so you don't feel anything you're just a neutral state you know so if they had access to alternative tools like the antigens that could maybe help their mental well-being reduce their depression without all the added side effects and if it was used in a responsible manner i say why not What's your opinion on um, like crystals, minerals having um, metaphysical um, Proper. properties and yeah, you know, pros? Well, I I'm a metaphysical wellness practitioner, so crystals are definitely a big thing that I do. <laughs> wow. wow, wow! I mean, crystals. Well, where do you start? <laughs> um. It's just even looking at, again, I like to tap into history and like frequency. Everything comes down to frequency and vibration. And like a lot of the, you know, ancient wisdom traditions that did incorporate crystal into their practice, like traditional Chinese medicine, like a lot of people think now it's just acupuncture and herbs. But if you actually go back in time, they were strong advocates for mineral-based medicines and rocks and crystals and things like that. Um, even a lot of paganistic traditions, you know, they incorporate crystals into their healing and they see it as just, um, I guess, substances or agents of light that can hold a certain frequency and they can store that certain frequency. And when you work with that frequency either or that crystal, either in a physical manner or energetically, like if you meditate with a crystal or if you wear the crystal, the crystal frequency or the energy that's held up by that crystal can emanate into your own body and can help with your healing process. And how I see it, I see like, for example, like plants or algae or, you know, 
different vegetables, they're able to trap sunlight. Let's just take sunlight. They're able to trap sunlight. They're able to store it somehow within their cells, you know, as chlorophyll or what have you. We take it in. So everything essentially is a transfer of energy, right? Light energy, energy, moon energy, just energy. So I, I just think like if plants can do that, like why stop with just plants? Like why do we feel like the sun shining on rocks or shining on minerals or into caves? Why can't those things trap the sunlight in their own way? They might not be able to do it as plants do, but in their own way, because the sun is on everything on earth. Like we're affected by the sun. Like mm-hmm. even something little like um, going out in the sun frequently increases mitochondria in ourselves. And that can help with things like making the, that's why people feel energized in the summer as well. It's not just the vitamin D level. It's not just because it looks good. You're physically the mitochondria, which are like energy powerhouses in our body. Physically, they increase by just being out in the sun. So we can trap sunlight energy without going through plants or animals, without eating plants and animals. We can get some kind of energy from the sun. So why not rocks and minerals? And if we can somehow work with those rocks and minerals, to harness our energy or to bring some you know force of healing into our lives why not and i say with anything if somebody's curious especially things like crystals it doesn't hurt to explore and see if there are changes in your life because it's seeing is believing right yeah yeah are there some of your favorites that you work with a favorite crystals yeah oh god i don't really have a favorite crystal it depends really <laughs> on what is the intention I'm looking to um, harness with working that crystal or my mood? I mean, and the accessibility of the crystal as well, because um, sometimes you learn about this crystal is like amazing and it does this and like you can't get it or it's like $400 and you're like, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes like just little things like citrine, I love citrine for just cleansing mental clarity, um, cleansing the, the metaphysical tools that I work with, just looking at it. It's, it's, um, it's clear, it's fresh. It, it brings that sense of purity into the mind. So I like citrine. I like like almost all the quartz crystals. Um, I like tiger's eye, definitely moonstone. I, I like quite a few. <laughs> yeah. We got in into, um, researching where to dig up our own crystals. And we've been lucky at certain places. Um, We've gotten to try it here in California. We got um, lucky with some barite crystals Um, and, you know, started exploring other areas like Georgia, uh, found some rose quartz and black tourmaline. Um, We found, we found several. So yeah, we've, Sometimes certain ones call to you, you know, yeah. and you can, I've personally gotten to see how barite, you know, the differences barite ha- crystal has made in my life without even, you know, it made a difference. And then I got to figure it out later on. So, you know, I got mm-hmm. to see that it does work. Yeah. Powerful. I love the fact that you are like, actively engaging in you know curating your own crystals because for me like on an energetic level that gives the whole process so much more power than just like purchasing it online or going to a shop because you have history and story and you 
dug it out yourself. Yeah. So that's yeah. just cleaning it is a whole nother process because when you first get it, it does not look, you know, yeah. white like this. It looks like it's all dirt and even finding it. And sometimes we'll go to the same place multiple times and realize we missed, we missed one and it's right in front of our faces. Yeah. And I, and I, sometimes I, I try to figure it out and I'm like, maybe it was in a different frequency and I was not in that frequency at the time I looked at it. And this time I am, cause I'm like, how do they keep appearing in the same, same place all the time? So we always try to figure it out and, you know, certain ones call to you. It's weird. Wow, that's beautiful. I'm so jealous. <laughs> we'll have to send you some crystals. Yeah, well. definitely. We yeah. love sending them to people. Yeah. So um, as far as we love going to the ocean, um, salt water, do you see uh, benefits in salt water, ocean water, and things like that, sand? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, you're speaking to a naturopath. So <laughs> I think all the elements of nature harbor healing properties, all the elements, even the toxic ones, I will say, if used responsibly and in the right manner and people know what they're doing, um, most definitely like, you know, going to the ocean, the, the, the salt, I mean, it's even like things like, you, you must have heard it, like the Dead Sea salts, right? It's so mm -hmm. rich in minerals. And a lot of those minerals, coming back to the alkalization, a lot of those minerals, especially if they have like magnesium in them, can, you know, our skin can absorb some of those minerals and they can help with alkalizing. So that's another one, like salt soaks can help with alkalization. And um, a lot of times as well, I think um, minerals, it, it's funny because I feel like even in the supplement industry, we're big on like vitamins and superfoods and stuff. But I think like mineral appreciation for, for minerals is still a little bit lagging, like just the roles of minerals in the human body. It's, you know, tremendously important and when we are in stressful modes the minerals are one of the things that are easily depleted in the human body so things like having the you know soaking by the the, the beach or you know ocean if you can in those like i mean the thing though is like the pollution as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there's some clean beaches out here as well exactly yeah. So if you know where you're going to and like just making sure it's not too toxic, I think it's a beautiful practice. It's, it's the minerals, it's the sunlight on your skin. It's the wave. Like I, I practice what I call alchemical healing. And one of the modes that I use is Ayurveda, right? And, um, Ayurveda speaks like in some, I'll, I'll say this quickly. So about sattva, when we live a sattvic lifestyle is one that's generally calm into our nervous system, rich in whole foods, less toxic, not very busy. So slow living, all those contribute to a sattvic lifestyle. And when we have a sattvic lifestyle, that's when we get the maximum healing. So coming back to the ocean and, you know, just relaxing in the ocean, swimming in the ocean, that wave-like effect of the water moving against us and just listening to the, the wind on the water, 
that is very current into our nervous system and that drives us more into a state that is septic. Again, calm into our nervous system, activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest of digest and the healing nervous system. So there's so many things to bodies of water. I mean, I'm such a documentary queen. <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually a documentary. I, I can send you guys a link. I think it's called the blue, the blue or the power of the blue or something. And it just speaks about the healing benefits of bodies of water so oceans waters lakes streams and it breaks it down on so many levels it's powerful medicine just being out in the open ocean powerful medicine okay thanks for sharing to look that. into that yeah. <laughs> well i guess before we get ready to close it out i guess another one that i didn't um sun gazing I meant uh, to ask you about the benefits of sun gazing. <laughs> <laughs> While the sun is shining on you, for those yeah. who are watching, listening. <laughs> we love sun gazing here. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful that you guys engage in these practices. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, before we get ready to close it out, um, anything you'd like to share with the audience? or any projects you have coming up? Um, so yes, thanks for the conversation. If you know anyone wants to get in touch with me or they're curious about like my work and my offerings, everything can be found on my website, which is um, www.manifestingalchemy.com. Okay, and I think, yeah, traveling. I did wanna go um, we'll skip have- over traveling in the future, I guess, or- We'll Eventually. definitely have you back for another <laughs> another to episode. see what's your favorite traveling places since you. Oh, I'll be happy to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and if you're ever in Los Angeles, we like to invite everyone in. You know, we're in downtown LA, so okay. like to invite you in for an in-person studio uh, conversation okay. as well. I did have one more question: um, sure. If there are three plants you can't live without, if you had to pick three. <laughs> For like healing or is this general? For like- healing or for even eating for health purposes, just um, three that you feel like are super important that the audience should know about. Wow, that's a good question because I love plants. I like- figured, <laughs> so I'll let you pick three. <laughs> okay, I would say one would be aloe vera. Um, Two more roses, oh. and third one. Oh, this is gonna be hard. Probably hibiscus. Hibiscus. Okay. okay. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was hard. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and consideration. All of the gems that you've dropped shared a lot of valuable valuable information for us personally and i'm sure for our listeners as well um we'd like to thank everybody for listening um for supporting clicking like and for the podcast you can find us at americangypsy.com um you'll also find links to our uh, online store at luamlee.com and everything dr egypt mentioned will be in the description all her information where you can find her and for music 
you can find some of my instrumental music and also some vocal music at under classic K L A C C I K Carpenter C A R P E N T A. And there'll be links below us on um, all major platforms, title, Spotify, Apple music, YouTube, etc. And thank you again. Um, thank you, Dr. Egypt for your time and consideration. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you to everyone listening. Consistent self-improvement to everyone. We love you and see Peace. you next time. Peace.